We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the final episode of this season following Sunday's 49ers Super Bowl loss. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and 95.7 in the game. The game. Easy for me to say. Kyle, what's going on, dude? Uh, not a lot, man. I'm sitting here still trying to process the Super Bowl. Uh, we have a brand new sponsor, though, BetOnline.ag, that I'm very excited about. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but wanted to shout them out uh, here at the top for being our new sponsor. Uh, I have a cup of decaf next to me, which is great. And I have decided to occupy my mind by diving a little bit into uh, the draft t- 
to try and get away from from some of the Super Bowl chatter before we before we did our pod. Yeah, so the 49ers lost the Super Bowl. It was a, a 20 to 31 defeat to the Chiefs. The Niners blew a 10 point lead that they had midway through the fourth quarter. Um, the first three quarters of the game kind of went the way. I think you and I both expected in that the Niners were playing really good defense. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo was being really efficient. He completed 17 of 20 in those first three quarters. Uh, And then everything just kind of went sideways in the second half. And what I want to talk about in this pod is just sort of diagnosing what what actually happened and not, you know, the, the discussion surrounding the game is who deserves the blame um, how much do we blame Kyle Shanahan? Is Jimmy Garoppolo ever going to win a Super Bowl? Those types of things. Um, me personally, I'm I'm not a big fan of like the hot take uh, culture that that we live in, and and I think it's far more nu- nuanced than that. And and what I mean by that is like my opinion of Kyle Shanahan hasn't really changed uh, since the Super Bowl. Like I, I didn't learn anything about Kyle Shanahan that that I feel like I didn't already know before. I just think his resume reads a little bit differently. And the same is true for Andy Reid. Like Andy, Andy Reid has always been a really good coach and everybody within the league and, and a lot of the smart people outside the league know that Andy Reid is probably one of the best offensive coaches in the league. And that doesn't necessarily change now that he won a Super Bowl, but his resume changes and his legacy changes. And, and that's what the Super Bowl does is it changes legacies and, and creates rep reputations if you lose right like i i have a piece coming out for the sacramento b on wednesday just sort of mentioning it and trying to dive into a nuanced discussion about what happened in this game and, and we're going to talk about it but kyle you're in sports talk radio what's what's it been like these last couple days in reaction to the super bowl um shanahan should be fired <laughs> just release jimmy garoppolo and save money sign tom brady uh, is the 49ers defense actually bad? Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is just not tall enough. Was not tall enough. Someone called in with that on Monday, didn't get on the air, and then called back with it today. So Interesting. That's, that's something that we should explore, I think. Is Jimmy Garoppolo just too short to run Shanahan's offense? Worth thinking about. No. I, I I think everything you said was pretty spot on though. Like the the hot take culture as as it's called um requires us to to come up with something dramatic. And I think really what we saw was just one team executed better than the other team did, and that's what happens in sports. I I just are there things the Niners could have done differently for sure. But I think if they execute better or a pass interference call at the end of the first half goes their way or like pick pick a number of things like too many things went sideways to use your phrasing to to put it on one person and to think that Jimmy Garoppolo can never get it done or Kyle Shanahan is never going to win the big one like. Jimmy Garoppolo is 28. He has a decade of football left. Kyle Shanahan's 40. He's got three decades of coaching left. I, I just, the 49ers went from four and 12 to 13 and three and were three plays from winning the Super Bowl. There are so many teams in the league that would take that right now. 
And I know that doesn't necessarily help, but it's the reality of the situation when you get past all of the hot takes and the need to create content for clicks on the internet. Right. And, you know, we live in an era where the the biggest shows on TV are basically two people arguing and two people taking one side of an argument or opposite sides of the argument, I should say, and, and just trying to trying to create content via controversy or, or whatever. The most polarizing um, opinions are often the most popular. And and so it is what it is. It, it And it's a Super Bowl. I get it. It's it's the biggest game in, in American professional sports and, and it's going to be scrutinized that way. But um, I, I just think it, like you said, it, it's a, a lot of things went wrong and a lot of things happened and not one person is responsible. A lot of people are responsible. And the theme for me rewatching the game today was that just a bunch of things happened that the 49ers hadn't been doing all season. And it was a pretty atypical game from their perspective. And I guess maybe going into it, that was something I didn't really think about a whole lot was just the experience factor. The fact that this Chiefs team went to the AFC title game last year and had been in these games where the Niners, this is, they're all basically new to this. And they didn't have a, a tough go in either of their two playoff games leading into this they basically blew out minnesota and green bay in games that they controlled uh for throughout and then you know that there wasn't much punchback from from minnesota and green bay in those games in a way that those games ever really felt threatened um so this super bowl was different and and the 49ers did their thing through the first three quarters they were really really good against patrick mahomes um and then i thought midway through the fourth quarter after the Chiefs got the ball back following um, Pat Mahomes' second interception, which came in 49ers territory, which I thought was the point where the Niners were going to win, um, they yeah, started I thought going it was over no- there. Yeah, they started going no huddle when they got the ball back, and that was the drive where they had had the third and 15 happen. Um, so that was that was a club they kept in the bag late. Uh, which I thought was really smart by Andy Reid. And then on defense, what they started doing was doing a lot more blitzing and disguising their blitzes really well, which the 49ers didn't have an answer for. Um, they were sending six guys a lot, which is obviously more than uh, you know, the 49ers had blockers in, in many cases. And, and they were disguising it in a way where Garoppolo was, was completely lost. And the numbers reflect that. Uh, under pressure in the Super Bowl, averaging 2.2 yards per attempt. I think he completed, what, one of nine? Um, yeah, one of nine for 20 yards. Uh, both of his picks obviously came under pressure. And the the point about Garoppolo, I guess this is more big picture than itself, but like, is Garoppolo the right guy? Um, can they do better by, you know, finding another quarterback? Well, I, I'm curious to see what other option there is because I don't know that there's an option out there that the 49ers could conceivably come up with that's going to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo in essentially his, you know, fourth season with Kyle Shanahan, right? Because we know super complex and is very tough to learn and you really get better within the system when you're in it for an extended period. This was Jimmy Garoppolo's first full season in the system. It was his first full season coming off an ACL tear. And overall, one of the things that I really take away from Garoppolo's season is that he wasn't nearly as good under pressure overall 
crawl throughout the year than he was in 2017. In 2017, when he was under pressure during those five games with the 49ers, he was averaging 8.3 yards per attempt, which is really good. Um, when he was blitzed, he was averaging 9.7 yards per attempt, which is just completely insane. And then this year, when he was under pressure, he was averaging seven yards per attempt, which isn't good. And when he was blitzed, it was 8.1, which isn't good either. And to me, I wonder how much that ties into the knee injury and the fact that your front leg is is the leg that you hurt. And it's not really protected, save for a brace. Um, I think that's probably the biggest difference between Garoppolo pre-injury and Garoppolo post-injury is his ability to play in the face of pressure because that was probably the most impressive thing that he did in 2017 when he got here. And then that reared its ugly head in the Super Bowl. And and Steve Spagnoli talked to 49ers leading into the game. What's What are the hallmarks of a Steve Spagnola defense? It's, it's all the disguising they do, whether it's in coverages or blitzing. And I thought, um, you know, I thought the 49ers would move the ball well against them and they did throughout the game but once Spagnola started dialing up those blitzes and once the 49ers started I mean they just didn't play well as a collective in the fourth quarter like you had Joe Staley jumping offsides you had a Emmanuel Sanders offsides penalty you had all the blitzing and they have any problem with the play calling we'll, we'll talk about Kyle Shanahan and all that but just big picture on Garoppolo I think obviously you're not going to find a better quarterback this offseason and and maybe if Garoppolo does next year then you start thinking about moving on um but I just you know I I think Garoppolo had a bad game and he's prone to it and it was a little bit disappointing from the 49ers perspective because he did lead the league or tied the league lead with four fourth quarter comebacks uh during the regular season and and he wasn't able to do it there in the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl but um I mean, I think you still have to feel good about the 49ers. Like, if you would have told us before the season that they would go to the Super Bowl, they would have a lead in the fourth quarter, and they would lose it, you would still feel like that was a successful season. Ultimately, the Niners played so well throughout the year, including the playoffs, that they raised that standard. And now it feels super disappointing because of what that standard became over time by how well they played. But still, looking at this team, like, they do have some decisions to make cap-wise, but... I mean, you you compare where they're at with their coaching staff and their roster compared to the rest of the league and the rest of the NFC. I think you have to feel really good about it. And I don't think, you know, and I, as somebody who tries to be an objective observer, like I don't obviously you want to win the Super Bowl, but losing to Patrick Mahomes the way Patrick Mahomes was playing in that fourth quarter, um, I don't think there's really any shame in that because I think ultimately Mahomes is going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. And it's, you know, obviously if the Niners had won, we'd be talking about their defense as one of the best ever. But I don't think there's much shame in losing to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl a year after going 4-12. and Yeah, and that's why I'm not super worried about Jimmy Garoppolo uh, because of because of the things that you just mentioned, like... We have a larger sample size of him being good than we do of him being bad. And I think because of our tendency to to put so much weight on championship games, because championships are, are obviously why teams play and they're, they're the end-all and be-all of a season, I, I, I just I, I don't think that this suddenly means that Jimmy Garoppolo is incapable of, of winning a Super Bowl or incapable of completing a fourth-quarter comeback. Like, 
the the Chiefs took the Niners out of their offense. They made them play left-handed. And that was really um, a little bit the the thing all year was, um, you know, Garoppolo is prone to making mistakes and, and he made a couple. And I think the the game goes a lot differently. Like, we'll, we'll go over some of the key plays here, but like Chris Jones, the defensive tackle for the Chiefs was – magnificent and I think had three batted passes I think two he had a couple late in the game where uh if that pass doesn't get batted down the Niners have a first down the, yeah I think both of them bo- both of his batted passes probably would have gone for first downs yeah and, and and that's that's you know hats off to to the opposing defense for making a play the larger concern for me the the thing that was my biggest kind of Garoppolo related concern since that's kind of where this started was and Brian Baldinger did a great did a great breakdown of this but there were multiple times where Garoppolo just didn't look at the open guy yeah and had receivers running wide open Mm -hmm. and that may be a factor and and he's been on the team for three years two and a half years uh but he he it was his first full season as a starter. And I think there's room for him to grow in the offense a little bit and room for him to grasp the offense a little bit. And there are just certain things that happen if you've played sports or if you've done anything. Even if you cook, like you can't just watch a YouTube video and then go, okay, I can cook this now. Like it takes work, it takes practice. And so that's going to be my thing to watch for Jimmy Garoppolo moving forward is does that continue to rear its head? Does he continue to miss wide open guys, uh, especially in key spots, especially in the postseason? Because that's when those uh, moments, like it or not, are magnified. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and there are, there are a few that stick out in my head. I think there was there was a third down on a, a slant he threw to Tevin Coleman, where it was just kind of he just hit the top of his drop and then threw it right to Coleman. It was like a nade or something like that, where it looked like Debo Samuel was open deeper down the field. Um, on the George Kittle offensive pass interference, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, by like a significant margin, he was running right to the end zone on a nine route, um, basically uncovered. And if Garoppolo hadn't decided to go to Kittle, he would have had a touchdown uh, available to Sanders. He was, he was way wide open. Um, and I'm not necessarily blaming Garoppolo for that because he did complete the pass, uh, you know, and obviously it was an OPI, which you can't account for as a quarterback when you're making that throw. But um, there were instances where it seemed like guys were open. And yeah, to your point, I think another offseason in the offense, getting another full season as a starter under his belt, is, is he's going to be able to make those reads and trust what he sees a little bit better. Um, and, you know, I, I think... Uh, you know, I just think Garoppolo's story isn't finished. Like we like to do this thing where, like you mentioned, like how somebody plays in a Super Bowl defines them, and and I don't know that it does. Like it's it's a part, it's a chapter in their in their story. Um, but I I think the 49ers are going to stick with Garoppolo, and I don't think Garoppolo is a finished product yet. Right. And I think there are ways he can get better, particularly coming off the injury. And I don't know, you know, I didn't watch the full broadcast. I just watched the condensed version. But I'm curious as to how much they talked about the knee injury and how much of a factor it is because, 
you know, going through the numbers and, and going back through all these games that he played, like, I do think the knee, while it wasn't a super significant development, I think it changed the way he played a little bit. Um, and so I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious if he has a full off season to where he's not worried about the knee and rehab and recovery. If he has a full off season to, to, you know, devote himself to becoming a better quarterback what he could look like next year because look he was the only quarterback in the league this year to be top five in touchdown passes um completion percentage and yards per attempt and he went 13 and three as a starter during the regular season obviously the Niners defense and running game were a huge part of that but Garoppolo played pretty damn well for a guy coming off of an of, of an ACL tear and so I, I'm curious to see what it looks like next year when he's not coming off that injury yeah yeah I am too and and the whole doesn't perform well in big games thing that's something for a larger sample size we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs once like Dan Marino's career was defined by the fact that he didn't win a title Jimmy Garoppolo might win three like I my I, just the overarching thought that my opinion on Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't changed is really what what is sticking out to me. Like, nothing happened in that game that made me think that he's not the guy for the 49ers going forward. I think they can win a Super Bowl with him. I, I thought that before, and I, and I still think that now. Okay, let's move on to Kyle Shanahan because um, he's taking a lot of grief. And I don't think it was Shanahan's best performance, but ultimately I think the coach probably gets praised too much when things go well and gets criticized too much when uh, when things go poorly. And in this case, uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, what happened at the end of the second quarter before halftime and Shanahan's decision not to call a timeout. And uh, when the when the Chiefs were punting at midfield and getting the ball back and, and getting a chance to score, um, ultimately, the offensive pass interference from George Kittle negated that opportunity. But so I Ross Tucker of The Athletic wrote something that I completely agree with and that I forgot about uh, until I was reminded. And I went back and watched today. So the Chiefs came really, really close and probably should have downed that punt at the one yard line. And Colquitt, the Kansas City punter is good. Like he, he's good at, at pinning uh, punts deep, and the Chiefs were at midfield. So if the Niners had been, if, if say Shanahan calls a timeout there, and the Chiefs do down the ball at the one yard line, I mean you really can't be aggressive there. You just can't. Like no NFL team, I don't care who you have at quarterback, even the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes when he's rolling, like they're not just going to be in shotgun with you know, four wide receivers and just run their normal passing offense. That's not how goal line football works when you're backed up in your own, on your own side of the field in the NFL. And so like, there's a real chance the 49ers would have had to just run the ball to avoid a safety or avoid a turnover. You remember Garoppolo threw an interception two possessions before that. If they're backed up at their one yard line and the Chiefs have all three of their timeouts, the Chiefs are more than likely going to get their ball, going to get the ball back. There's probably a 70% chance Mahomes gets the ball back with like a minute 20, minute 25 to play in the half. And in that scenario, you're probably not going into halftime tied, right? So I understand the idea that you need to score against Patrick Mahomes. Um, as often as possible. But I also understand the idea that 
or understand the, the logic behind, all right, let's try to avoid the absolute worst-case scenario. And the worst-case scenario for the 49ers right there was getting the ball at, the, at their own one-yard line, which came really close to happening <laughs> because um, the, the Chiefs almost downed it. The, the, there was a guy right in position, to, um, I want to say, who was it, Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle, one of those guys, was right in position to get the ball tapped to, from the other guy after it bounced and be at the one yard line. Like that's the worst spot to be when the opponent has three timeouts left because you have to play it conservatively or else one, you're risking stopping the clock because you're not going to go 99 yards in, a, in you know, a minute and 40 or whatever it would have happened um, had the 49ers taken that timeout. So I do get the logic behind it. And this was the same thing that happened in the Ravens game where Kyle Shanahan before halftime was playing it conservatively. And then all of a sudden a play popped that he might not have thought was, was going to pop. And that was a Jeff Wilson 20 yard screenplay. And now all of a sudden the 49ers are in midfield and then the offensive pass interference penalty happens. If that penalty doesn't happen, the 49ers are getting three points at least. Um, and maybe even getting a touchdown because they're going to have the ball at the 13 yard line with eight seconds left and a timeout. So they'll have at least one shot at the end zone there. Um, but they get the penalty, and that proves to – I mean, that ultimately takes them out of range there, and they end up sitting on the ball. But the penalty was really the reason we're talking about Shanahan's clock management at the end of the half. And and I get it. You want to score against Patrick Mahomes as often as possible. And the 49ers had just put together an impressive touchdown drive. But the risk isn't necessarily worth the reward – if you take the timeout and then you're backed up inside your own five and then ultimately Patrick Mahomes has a very high likelihood of getting the ball back and then you don't have the advantage of being tied going into halftime and getting the ball at with the second half kickoff. So that was that's sort of my my thinking. I And I know that's probably contrarian and a lot of people will say, well, you have a good offense. Uh, you should have confidence in your offense. Like, yeah, but. I mean, Garoppolo threw an interception in his own side. of the, he's, he's thrown a lot of interceptions on his own side of the field this year, right? Like it happened against Minnesota. Um, it happened in a bunch of different against the Rams. Uh, I mean, it happened a lot where Garoppolo threw a bad interception on his side of the field. And ultimately, I understand why Kyle Shanahan wanted to avoid that. Counterpoint, they were averaging eight yards of play at halftime. Mm-hmm. And it felt like in that in that moment, if you're trying to score, if you're trying to score even a field goal, like a minute 40 with two timeouts, and I, I get not wanting to give the ball back, but that that could have been a like, game altering swing if they go down and get a field goal there then get the ball before the or at the half and go down and score again like that's that's such a huge swing yeah and so so i i've gone back and forth on this a lot in the moment i was like what are what are they doing why are they not calling a timeout um i i understand the logic of why not and i also understand that if Kittle doesn't get flagged for a, a really soft OPI call, which I, I think it was pass interference by letter of the law, but we've seen a lot worse, like not get called. Um, it's not why they lost. It doesn't matter. If he doesn't get flagged for that, the Niners are either scoring a touchdown or kicking a field goal, and they played it brilliantly. 
and there's no discussion over what the Niners should have done at halftime. Or if Garoppolo goes to Emmanuel Sanders and they get a touchdown there instead of the opiate Kittle. Right. So, so if Kittle catches it, they they score and everybody thinks Kyle Shanahan's brilliant. The the other thing is that this is being second guessed because of things that happened with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. If the right. Niners hold, if the Niners get a stop on third and fifteen, and the Chiefs punt, and the Niners bleed out the clock, uh, nobody cares that a timeout wasn't called. Everyone goes, "Wow, great, you know, good idea keeping it tied. That really worked." I, I just, I there's there's a not narrative. There is a thought process after this game that Kyle Shanahan can't manage the clock. And no, Kyle Shanahan managed the clock exactly how he wanted to there. And the, if your your beef is with the the process, like that's fine. But he didn't do something wrong. And I think that's the that's the key thing is it's not like he botched the clock. Like no, he didn't want to give Kansas City the time. Like he did he did what he set out to do. And whether you agree with that or not, like fine. Uh, but it was going to work right up until the end of the game. So uh, right. I, I think I'm on board with, with the strategy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand both sides of it. I just think avoiding the scenario where you're backed up inside your five-yard line while your opponent has three timeouts with that much time left is is problematic when you're when you're going against Pat Mahomes. And I'm I understand going into halftime tied and feeling good about that. Um, but let's talk about the play calling later in the game in the fourth quarter specifically. I ultimately didn't have a problem with it. And I know a lot of people want to talk about, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan should have run the ball more, which I think is funny. I think it's funny that Kyle should have been more conservative in the fourth quarter, but more aggressive, uh, in the second quarter. I just think it's a funny juxtaposition in the way we talk about this, but like, ultimately I don't think the Niners were enabled unable to move the ball because of the play calling. I think it was the fact that the offensive line was getting beat. It was the fact that Garoppolo wasn't diagnosing where the blitzes were coming from quickly enough. Um, and I don't think the offensive line was either. And then maybe that's a scenario where you're missing Weston Richburg, your starting center, uh, in a way that we haven't really seen the 49ers miss him to this point. Um, and I did, there were a lot of mistakes, like I mentioned, like Joe Staley going offside. Um, Chris Jones batting down two passes is is a major thing because, like we said, I think both of those plays would have been first downs, and we're probably talking about this uh, a lot differently. Um, what Kyle Shanahan does that makes his offense so successful is that he uses what the defense is doing against them. And I know we've talked about this before, but like, the 49ers have not been built all year to just impose their will and and do something th- that they want to do no matter what the defense is doing, right? Like, they don't have the type of offensive line to say, all right, you have nine guys in the box, we're going to run it anyway. Like, that's not... I know they did that at times this year, but I think a lot of that is matchup based. And I think a lot of it too is, is based on what the defense is doing from a schematic perspective. Like the, the Packers were pretty light in that game in terms of their personnel package, a lot of nickel, a lot of nickel. And when you're in nickel, you are susceptible to the run, right? Like the chiefs decided that they're going to 
they're going to blitz a lot and they're going to have a lot of guys by the line of scrimmage. And so what Kyle Shanahan has done throughout the year, and which is one of the reasons why I think you and I had confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo is because he had been able to make defenses pay for doing that. And so Garoppolo completing 85 of 85 percent of his passes through the first three quarters and averaging nine yards per attempt gives you confidence that he's going to be able to throw the ball when he needs to late in the fourth quarter. And so Shanahan dialing up passing plays to me isn't the issue. Like, I I think it was just something where the Chiefs were doing things that the 49ers weren't expecting in in the way they were disguising their blitzes, or at least the 49ers struggled with picking up those blitzes. And Chris Jones batting down a couple passes, a couple guys being in good spots, and and ultimately the Chiefs just forcing Garoppolo to speed up his process was what led to the offensive struggles. And it's not like, you know, I, I didn't... Second and five, you want to run the ball, fine. I mean, George Kittle was matched up against Terrell Suggs. Like, I don't I don't have any problem with, with that pass there. I just think, you know, we're, we, we are basing our opinion off Kyle Shanahan off of the results more than the process. And and that's something that you said, which I think is really smart. But but it's just... You think process- that what I said was smart? Yes. The- Thanks. <laughs> wow. This is the best day ever. <laughs> you're, you Mom! always say smart stuff. <laughs> Mom, that's what Chris just said. <laughs> um, but the, the process is always Kyle Shanahan using what the defense is doing against it. And so if you're loading the box, then you try to win with a quick passing game. Um, the issue was the 49ers couldn't win with a passing game because, you know, Chris Jones was batting down passes. Garoppolo wasn't diagnosing things quickly enough. And uh, and the 49ers hurt themselves with penalties and and things like that. So I don't have as much of a problem with the play calling um, in the fourth quarter as just the players not executing, ultimately. Like, I think that was the issue, and, and I think the Chiefs did a really good job uh, with their game plan. And I think Steve Spagnuolo deserves some credit because I thought Shanahan would have had his way with them, but um, the way they were disguising those blitzes and, and forcing Garoppolo to speed up uh, was impressive and, and was a major factor in why they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um, let's talk about the defense. Because, I mean, so the defense let the 49ers down, and you tell me, but I know the discussion has been about Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo, but I thought the defense uh, ultimately what made, I mean, some of the biggest mistakes of the game that, that led to the Chiefs winning, probably more so than the offense did. The third and 15, obviously, like, a couple things on third and 15. Emmanuel Mosley decides to bite on the underneath guy. Uh, in coverage rather than stay deep, which allows Pat Mahomes to hit Tyree Kill for that 44-yard gain. Um, On that play, Pat Mahomes did a nine-step drop from shotgun, which I don't know if I've seen that this season, at least in a game that I've watched live. Um, And DeForest Buckner still almost got there, which is crazy to think about because he was was 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage and Buckner was a heartbeat away from, from getting to him. Um, but ultimately Mosley not sticking to his coverage and you see him like he knew it as soon as the play happened. He was like, man, I screwed up. Um, I thought that was the biggest play in the game because like you said, if the 49ers get that one, get that stop there, uh, there's what, six minutes left. Yeah. And the chiefs have fourth and 15 on their own 35. Yeah. And it's a 10 point game. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I just I think that was ultimately it. And then and, uh, and then and then three plays later on a third and ten, Tavarius Moore has great coverage on Travis Kelsey and never turns his head around and gets flagged for defensive pass interference. Like there right. were just so many defensive miscues at the end of that game that were just baffling because they were stellar for the first fifty five minutes. I think it was the Chiefs going tempo. Like yeah, when they got so the too. when they got the ball back, like I said, after the possession you know, the 49ers punted after Mahomes through that second interception. Uh, they went tempo. And I think that really screwed up what the 49ers defense was doing because, I mean, I think the Niners defense was in kind of a rhythm. Like you're you're able when you're going the huddle every snap and you have the same amount of time to catch your breath and your pre-snap process is the same every play. When the offense starts going to tempo, it slows down the pass rush. And like I said, DeForest Buckner was a hair late on getting to him on that third and 15. Um, you know, Nick Bosa is going to be slowed down a little bit when you're going tempo. And your defensive backs, while they're trying to chase the fastest receiving core in the league, they're going to have less time to recover and catch their breath. And they're going to be slowed down a little bit because of it. And so, like, you talk about all those factors, I think it all led to, and it was a great adjustment by Andy Reid because you saw it, like, you're like, oh, they're going tempo now. And you thought they were going to get the stop because for whatever reason, Emmanuel Mosley bites up and then he leaves Tyreek Hill open. And also, like, the only quarterback in the league who can make that throw is Patrick Mahomes. Like, 13, 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like, 54 yards, I think it was, in the air. Yeah, and, and that was what we talked about leading up to the game. Was, like, the Niners are probably the better team. But Patrick Mahomes is going to make a couple of insane plays. And you just have to make sure that those insane plays don't kill you. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, he made He made, like you said, he is one of one making that throw from that deep of a drop out of the shotgun under pressure like off his back foot like throwing it up and a a testament to how bad the Niners blew that coverage and I'm really interested to hear what was supposed to happen because the way I understand it is Emmanuel Mosley was supposed to cover the deep third yeah he was just supposed to basically be where Tyreek Hill was right and and so I, I then saw some pushback from 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 some smart football people on Twitter and so I, I'm interested to find out a little more uh, from the team what happened there and, and whether Mosley was supposed to follow Sammy Watkins or whether uh, he missed an assignment. But uh, either way, that throw was in the air forever. <laughs> it's just a testament to how open he was that that nobody was close enough to, to break up that pass because it was in the air for such a freaking long time. Yeah, well, Ty- Tyreek Hill's really fast. I mean, the thing is, is like, against any other quarterback in the league, if you're Emmanuel Mosley, it's probably the right play because nobody else has the arm strength to, yeah. to flick the ball yeah. like that. But Mahomes does. Yeah, you got um, got to know your quarterback. And I thought the Chiefs did a really good job on fourth down throughout the game. Yep. Um, they they brought out was incredible. Yeah, the, the direct snap... Uh, on the fourth and one near the goal line in the first quarter was really smart. Um, I thought the read, the read options they ran were really smart. And I don't know that the chiefs had run those all year and, uh, and credit to Mahomes, man. He, 
was willing to take some hits. He took a huge hit from Jimmy Ward. We talk about Jimmy Ward's tackling a lot. Like that was a really good, um, that was a, that was a really good example of like his ability to make a clean hit without drawing a penalty. But also Ward had one of the biggest mistakes in the game defensively. And this happened later, but Damian Williams touchdown run. Like, first of all, Nick Bosa and Quan Alexander didn't set the edge. Um, which they should have done. Alexander took a really bad angle, and, and let's face it, like Quan Alexander didn't have a very good game. He he bit hard on play action on on the first read option touchdown, or I guess the only read option touchdown on that first touchdown in the first quarter. Quan Alexander was bit inside, um, and then he was bad on that. He was out of position on that Damian Williams touchdown. But Jimmy Ward took a terrible angle on Williams and basically just gave Williams a sideline and he took it and just burned him for a touchdown. And that was really surprising because we don't see Ward take bad angles like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately think the Niners defense is more the Niners defense in conjunction with the Chiefs going up tempo was more of a factor in the game than what the 49ers were doing offensively. But one thing we didn't mention about Garoppolo, and this is just the last point, like the throw to Sanders at the end that he airmailed, that's one that he made against the saints and he made it against the Rams. Um, and he didn't make it. And if he did, we would be talking about Garoppolo in an entirely different context. Right. Like, yeah. And that's, that's probably the main point we should have, we should have, we should have made that point earlier. But like if he makes that well, throw, like he goes up and the Chiefs would have had a lot of time. I think they would have had what a minute 30 and two timeouts left uh, needing a field goal to tie it, assuming the 49ers made the extra point. But yeah, I mean that, that was well, and, and, and that's why, and that's why making grand statements about a player's legacy it, off of a game like that, it, it seems so foolish because not every play in a football game is going to succeed. Like even Tom Brady makes bad throws. Um, like the, the Niners were one or two plays away from winning the Super Bowl, And you can't make overarching judgments about players and coaches off of one or two bounces of the football. I, I like it's a game. Sometimes shit doesn't go your way. <laughs> uh, that, that, and that throw to Sanders is is one of them because, like you said, we've seen him make that throw before. That time he didn't. Like he'll he'll make it again and he'll connect on it, and sometimes he won't. Um. So you think Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever? Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady has lost three Super Bowls. That's a great point. So I don't, you know, and I'm not comparing Jimmy Garoppolo to Tom Brady. I just don't know that it's necessarily why like the right way to look at it. Like, Oh, he lost the Super Bowl, He's trash, <laughs> you know? And so anyway, um, can we talk about Miami and what it's like to be in the Super Bowl? Or is there anything else about the game we, we want to go over? Uh, no, but we should probably take a quick break. Oh, let's do that. Let's take a quick break. All right, we're going to take a quick break to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Bet Online. Did you miss your chance to bet on the Super Bowl? No, Chris, I actually didn't, and I'm so glad you asked because <laughs> <laughs> because Bet Online is the app that I've used to do my online sports wagering for the last maybe eight or nine months. 
and it is the best thing ever man you get and i know you're gonna have more info on this but uh one of my favorite things to do is they have a custom player props feature where you can go in and like if let's say debo samuel his his line is is over or under 49 and a half receiving yards and they give you odds on that but then they have a thing where you can adjust it if i think debo samuel is gonna have 100 yards I can go to over or under 99 and a half and I can get like plus 400 odds on it, um, which is really good odds. And you can do that. You can do like all these different, like if you think one player is going to outplay another player, you can like bet on that based on their stats. It's super cool. And I've used several online betting services and this is my favorite one. And I'm so happy that we get to talk about them every week. Okay, your turn. Yeah, Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter what time of the year. With March, wow, my voice really just squeaked. Uh, with March you Madness, kind of, kind of sick, I think, from just a lack of sleep. But we'll oh, talk the about the Miami that. flu. Nice. Coming yeah, up yeah. next. <laughs> with March Madness, the Masters Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your future bet for Super Bowl the next Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55 in Tampa in 2021. Maybe it's the Niners. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy. And if you're ready, if you're already making wagers like Kyle, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, Super Bowl Fifty Four. I mean, the halftime show was pretty cool. I had to watch um, in the press box. I can't really hear what's happening, so I, I had to go back and, and watch. And watching on TV, it was actually, um, or I guess YouTube. It was a pretty cool halftime show. It was I'm super not, fun. I'm, I'm not mad at Shakira and JLo. And I guess that's, um, yeah, it was super fun. Lots of, I don't, I mean, I don't really care if they lip sync or not. I think it was painfully obvious that Shakira was definitely not singing, but, uh, no man, if you, if you can get like that many people all in conjunction, choreographed and all that, that's cool. I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. Um, and that's my halftime take, but, uh, strong. You went to a Shakira concert and a, football game broke out yeah that's a that's a good joke i haven't heard that one before nice thanks um yeah no worries uh but so i had never covered a super bowl like this i I covered super bowl 50 um in a much lesser capacity I, i wasn't a beat writer covering either team and good lord is is it a mess in like the the most tiring week ever um and just like the thing but miami is is a wild place. It is a, I highly encourage anybody who hasn't been to Miami to go. I don't, I don't know if going to the Super Bowl is necessarily the right play, but, um, yeah, man, it was crazy. It was just a rough week for me because Niners availability was in the afternoon, which meant like, because it's a Super Bowl, you want to write really awesome stories and report everything as, as thoroughly and as in depth as you can. So like each night I was up till, you know, two or three in my hotel room writing. And by the end of it, I was super stir crazy. So, um, and yeah, but it was just exhausting, but like, what was, uh, 
I don't like because the last time the Niners were in the Super Bowl, I was in New Orleans too. I wasn't uh, I wasn't working the game. At, at, but what what was it like from your perspective, just seeing everything back in California, seeing all the coverage and, and all that, and how did it compare to a normal regular season week? It was. It felt like more feature heavy. Yeah. Like there, it wasn't just like, Hey, there was a press conference today and this player said this and this, and then this guy said this, it was more like, Hey, this guy said this. And that goes back to his high school days. Like mm-hmm. it is just, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. It was strange because usually there's like a dominant storyline. There's like a big, like something happens. That's like, Oh man, this is the talking point. That is just going to get beat to death. And yeah, there wasn't really. Yeah, like like before the Niners last Super Bowl, like Chris Culliver said yeah. a bunch of derogatory stuff. And it was just like that felt like it really took over a few days and then just kind of left a weird gloom over the rest of the over the rest of the proceedings. Whereas this it felt like the two weeks between the NFC championship and the Super Bowl took eight months. Yeah. And I think it was because there wasn't any, it was just a load of, and this is not on, on the, the writers in the media there, because I think you guys did a really fantastic job. Uh, I, I couldn't, I could not keep up with, with, uh, with all the content coming out, but, I, I I felt like, all right, I'm tired of this. Like, j- can the game just start? Right. Uh, and I think that stemmed a lot from all of the conversation being about the actual game. Like, there there was some stories about, you know, Andy Reid hasn't won one yet, and Kyle Shanahan 28-3 to and all that, but, but so much of it was like how these teams match up. And when you get into two weeks of that, it's just like, oh my God, get to kickoff. Right. Right. And so after the game... Um, covering a team that loses a Super Bowl is not an easy thing to do because, I mean, first of all, most of the guys are so despondent and upset in the locker room that they don't want to talk at all. Um, and you do not want to be the person who like sets a player over the edge in a situation like that. Um, second of all, the, the NFL and their PR department basically. So there, they have this tent that they set up outside the stadium that you have to go walk to, uh, where they have all the same risers from opening night, basically in a circle. And then, so there's enough room in there for the media to congregate. And then they have guys at microphones. So there's no like open locker room is is limited to everybody who's in the press box, right? So there's, I don't know. I mean, most of the people were going to the Chiefs, obviously, because they won. But there was probably 30, I guess, 30 reporters slash media people in the Niners locker room. And, like, they're all huddling around one person because only one person is talking at a time because anybody going to the tent in the outside isn't allowed to speak to anybody because they're going to the tent. And it was really weird because, like, I know a lot of these dudes and I talk to them all the time. And, like, the PR guys are like, no, you can't ask them any questions. And I'm like, are you telling me that or is the player telling me that? And the PR people are like, no, you got to wait till. So, anyway, it was really brutal. But I I end up 
saying that because I got super lucky in that I go back into the locker room before having to do a video hit because we had our video guy out there and um, so I, w- I was doing stand-ups for some reason. I'm not good at stand-ups, but we need that video content. Um, and I'm waiting for our video guy. He's not there. So I decided to walk back into the Niners locker room and Joe Staley and Debo Samuel are the only ones still in there. And Debo Samuel goes up to Joe Staley and they have this moment where they're just sort of talking to each other. And it's basically Staley with his left arm around Debo sort of facing away from everybody towards the locker. And Staley's just kind of whispering a bunch of stuff in his ear. And you see like Debo just kind of nodding his head, nodding his head, nodding his head. And I thought it was really interesting and sort of like, I mean, this is going to sound corny, but it was almost like poetic in the sense that like you have Staley who knows how crazy difficult it is to get to the Super Bowl, who's been in the league since 2005, talking to a rookie who was probably the 49ers best player on offense, or at least one of them. um, And just telling him like, hey, this is really rare. It's really hard to get to the Super Bowl. And the only way you do it is by working. And you remember like last year, the theme, one of the themes aside from, you know, players like Jimmy Garoppolo going down with injury was that, all these other dudes really struggling in their second season after having good rookie seasons. Like, and Staley was basically reiterating that to Debo. Like you're, you can be one of the best receivers in this league. Like the system is here for you. Uh, you have the skill set. You just need to work. And if you work, you could be a guy uh, who puts up huge numbers next year. And I talked to Staley about it afterwards and I just thought it was really like, sort of a fascinating scene, and I wanted to to talk about it a little bit here. And then I, I was lucky enough to get a one-on-one with Staley um, after he did all of his podium stuff. And I know a lot of people wrote about Staley, but what he said to me, which was really interesting, which I, I basically led my story with, was that like he said, I don't care about getting paid well. I don't care about Pro Bowls. I don't care about any of the other stuff. The only thing I care about is winning a Super Bowl. Like That's literally all I want. And, uh, and it was, I mean, I, you, you feel really bad for the dude because like a lot of people thought Staley was crazy to have this much faith in the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, um, back in 2017, a year after he said he almost considered retiring because of how things went with Chip Kelly and Jim Tom Sula and, you know, the last couple of years of Jim Harbaugh and that this came really close to paying off for him. Like all that faith he had in the organization, in Jed York's decision-making, in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, despite neither of them ever being at their post before. Um, And then Staley said, like, I thought there was a point midway through the fourth quarter where, like, I was going to finally win the Super Bowl. Like, my the only thing I want is to win a Super Bowl, and I thought I was going to get there. And then he was like, I didn't. And I'm like numb because of it. Like, it's like this whole thing is a blur and you know, he's, he was super broken up about it. And, uh, so anyway, I just, um, I want to tell that story because that's what, that's what I'm going to remember most about the Super Bowl. probably was just that conversation with Staley and, and him sort of conveying that thought to Debo about how difficult it is to get here. And then him reflecting on the fact that like, shit, this is all I want. And, uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how the 49ers respond next year to uh, 
to losing the Super Bowl and, and whether or not they're going to be a team that falls back sort of like the Rams did this year or continues to, to plow forward and, and be a contender. I, I tend to think they're going to they're going to remain a contender because they do have young enough pieces. Um, I don't know that that there's going to be a drop off really at any position group this offseason. It is going to be difficult this offseason because they don't have a ton of cap space or draft picks, but we'll talk about that as it comes. But, um, yeah, I just, that Staley thing is, is what stood out to me. So I just wanted to give the listeners a little behind the, behind the curtain on covering the Super Bowl and, and what the scene was like post game. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, when I, when I saw your story come out, cause I had seen a whole bunch of stuff from Staley's podium, but, uh, him talk like that was heartbreaking in itself, but then him describing the idea that like, that like I don't care how much money I make, I don't care about anything except winning a title. Like that's such a, I think that's such an unspoken thing. That hearing hearing a veteran athlete say that really put into perspective like how important that is for for most of these guys. I think there's I think there's some professional athletes that are like, yeah, the, like get me paid and and I'm good, which I mean, get your money, like that's that's why we all work, right? But I I think that's such a driving force for some guys and and to see it verbalized that way was really like jarring because I feel like it never gets gets just put really plainly like that. And then it also set in like the Niners have had some really good teams under Joe Staley uh, or, or, or with Joe Staley around and they've been to two Super Bowls and lost them both. And yeah. while I was, while I was writing about something he said post game, it, it really set into me that like the overwhelming odds are this was Joe Staley's last chance. And just based on, I think eight teams ever have gone back to the Super Bowl after losing, and three teams have won it the year after losing. I I, I believe is the correct stat. So that was that was what kind of was a real gut punch for me as somebody who's watched Joe Staley and and been a fan of his since like uh, you know for the last. 15 or so years like that was that was like that was tough for sure all right we got anything else is there anything else we want to hit on before we jit out of here yeah something i wrote about today uh because this has kind of been a doom and gloom uh podcast a little bit i think although not too bad but anyways um nick bosa and debo samuel were both really damn good Nick Bosa had 12 total pressures, which would have tied him for the most uh, in a game this year by a, by a defensive end. And the Chiefs have uh, a pair of very good tackles. Uh, and then Debo Samuel set a record for rushing yards by a receiver. He also led the team in targets with nine. And seeing both of those guys step up uh, on the big stage, I think, uh, bodes really well for the future for the Niners. If uh, I, I know it's really hard to take away silver linings from from that kind of game, but uh, Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa, I think, are going to be really good players for a long time. Yeah, I think that's one thing. You know, we we comparing the 49ers to the Rams last year after the Rams lost the Super Bowl. Uh, first of all, the Niners played a lot better than the Rams did. Yeah. Um, but 
they do have two really good rookies, like really good rookies. And if yeah. they're able to get another rookie like that, um, or, you know, another couple rookies like that next year, that's, that could be huge for them because they might end up losing some guys, but, uh, yeah, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But I do, I do think, I mean, Bosa was ridiculous, just so difficult to block. And I don't, I don't love doing the referee stuff, but like he could have been, that the Chiefs could have been flagged for holding Nick Bosa a handful of times. Well, and 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 definitely weren't. I don't think there was a single holding penalty called on not. on the Chiefs, right? Uh, on either team. Uh, one of the one of the things that that really stood out was, and to again, I, I'm with you. I, I'm not a big officials guy, but the Niners would have had seven or eight sacks if Patrick Mahomes wasn't as good in the pocket as he is. Like he, yeah, made, he, he made a couple of plays to evade pressure that were just like, man, I, I thought he was down at any, and he snuck out, which was pretty remarkable. Yeah. If there's a knock on Nick Bosa, sometimes it's that he's really good at beating his, his blocker, but he needs to improve at, at finishing the play and taking quarterbacks down. But no, he was, he was a complete monster in that game, man. Like it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Nick Bosa won a defensive player of the year award or two in his career. Yeah. Like he's, he's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and so good year for him. Good year for, for Debo, like you mentioned, good year for Drake Greenlaw. Um, you have to feel pretty excited about the, about the 49ers 2019 draft class. So, yeah. I think we'll yeah. go over that in a, in a future episode because that's, that's worth, worth talking about for sure. So I am going on vacation on Thursday. Uh, we're probably not going to record another pod this week. Uh, when I get back, we will record another one. I'm guessing what we're going to do one week in the off season, maybe two, like cl- closer to the draft on free agency. We'll figure that out. We got plenty of time to figure that out. But um, <laughs> now that now that you're on the podcast and talking and not having tech technical issues, I do want to thank you, Kyle, for being an awesome co-host and and producing and dealing with. Uh, my schedule and uh, and all the technical issues that we've we've had on my end. <laughs> um, so you've been awesome, and and I very much appreciate having you. And you're a huge part of why this has been successful. And of course, the listeners. Um, it's been a really fun first full season doing this pod on a regular basis. Um, it is really taxing and and sort of it's tough to to drum up the energy to to do it. Uh, because you get home from work and you just kind of want to have the rest of your night to do your own thing and turn your brain off for a minute. But um, it's rewarding to know that people enjoy listening to the podcast and uh, and that you know people make it a part of their routine and their commutes or, or whatever. Um, so that is definitely appreciated. And obviously, all you know, every everything with our sponsors. Um, you guys supporting us through our sponsorship or subscribing, rating, and reviewing. That's all awesome, and uh, it means a lot to us. And we really enjoyed – I really enjoyed the first season. I don't want to speak for Kyle, who might hate my guts. But, uh, but yeah, thanks to the listeners. Shout out to you guys, and uh, it's been a fun year. I definitely don't hate your guts. Uh, <laughs> thank you for, for letting me be on this pod. Um, I, I know that you didn't have to do that. Uh, but you did, and it's been a lot of fun. And having this outlet to to talk about uh, the 49ers is has been has been awesome. So, 
I'm very much looking forward to uh, kind of this off season. We've already done an off season with draft stuff, but uh, I think we'll come up with some more stuff to kind of keep the pod fresh and interesting and, and keep subscribing and writing and reviewing. And uh, I, I think that, that we'll do, we'll do better next year, next season, we will. this off season, next week we're recording like next week. Well, it starts next week. It's like yeah, a new year's resolution. <laughs> All right. Hope everybody has a uh, a good a good February, or at least a get gets their February off to a good start. I don't know what that means. No one ever wishes anybody a good February. So what? I don't. Hey, but hey, we will, have uh, a strong February. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm I'm clearly still operating on East Coast time here. But uh, yeah, we will talk to you guys next week, and uh, enjoy the start of your off season. How about that? There you go. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.